there at the top, Luke chapter 16 and verse number 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Thank you, Jacob, for leading the music. And Miss Alice again for playing the music. It was beautiful today. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for another beautiful day of life, and Lord, for the opportunity to study your word and and to meditate upon it. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross, for being the payment for the penalty for our sins. Jesus, thank you for your blessings you give us in our lives, for your grace, and for your mercy, and for your love. Jesus, thank you for your Holy Spirit, that it lives in us when we become saved and that our body becomes a temple for your Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit that you would bind any evil that would try to steal your word Holy Spirit we love you thank you for being pure and holy Jesus just bless us today with your message and Lord guide my tongue as I speak your word and we ask all these things in your name Jesus Amen Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture, and as Jacob just read, it's from the 16th chapter of Luke, and it's verses 19 through 31. And the title for this message is called Lazarus, the Rich Man, and Hell. And there's going to be three points. The first point is the conduct of the unfaithful rich man. The second point will be the faith of the unfaithful rich man. And then the final point will be the sufficiency of God's warnings about hell. So let's start here today. Luke 16, 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. The Bible points out that this man was very rich, that he was clothed in royal purple, 
And in the days of Jesus Christ, they did not have dyes like we have, the color purple or red or blue. And the color purple was a very precious color because the color came from sea snails. What they would do is gather these snails out of the sea, and approximately 2,000 were used to color one cloth. They would boil these snails, and the purple dye would come up. And you can imagine it would take a lot of labor to collect that many snails. And so these clothes that the rich people wore, they were very valuable. Just assume in our today's society that might be $10,000 for one cloth, one, one piece of clothing. And it says he fared sumptuously every day. That meant he had the equivalent of a banquet every day. This man was very, very wealthy. Really what we're doing here in this study, as Jacob had read all of these verses, we're taking the rich man and we're comparing his lifestyle with Lazarus. Lazarus really is not addressed personally through Abraham in this message. It's all of a dialogue between the rich man and Abraham. Luke 16, 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. Mammon is another word for money. And Jesus had just finished earlier in chapter 16 the parable of the unfaithful servant. This was the servant who had swindled the money from his master. And Jesus, at the end of that passage, had said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Look at Luke 16, 14. And the Pharisees also, which were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. The Pharisees were listening to Jesus preach. When he got to the end of that passage on, on money, he said, you cannot love God and mammon. You have to choose, because either you're going to hate God and love your money, or you're going to love God and not love money. Jesus also preached that the love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus was setting the standard here they had to choose. They couldn't have a false idol of money. They had to choose Jesus as their God. The Pharisees didn't like that message. Many of these Pharisees were, were very wealthy. They were connected. They were politically powerful. They owned businesses. They didn't want to hear what Jesus was saying about you can't love God and money. Also, in their society, the Jewish culture believed that if you were rich, God's blessing was upon you. And if you were poor, there must be some sin in your life. Because God was not blessing you. And of course, in God's standard, only faith is how we receive Jesus as our personal Savior. And it doesn't matter how rich we are. Luke 16, 15 says, And Jesus said unto the Pharisees, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination. In the sight of God. In verse 14, we see that the Pharisees are deriding Jesus. They're ridiculing Jesus. They're looking down on what he was saying. Here, Jesus addresses them. He says, You justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. God knows the hidden secret things of our hearts. 
And indeed, God will judge the hidden secret things of our hearts. Ecclesiastes is all about the foolishness of King Solomon. The 12 chapters end with two verses that says this is the whole matter. That we need to love God and keep his commandments. And then the verse goes on to say that God will take everything into judgment, including the hidden things. And he's going to judge whether they're good or whether they're evil. Here is Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The things that the world loves, the big houses, the cars, the fame, the fortune, that's an abomination in the sight of God. 1620, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. So now we have a second character entering into this picture. We have Lazarus, the beggar, and then, of course, we have the rich man. It's very interesting because Jesus, he's speaking to the Pharisees. And many of the theologians say that there's over 40 parables and that this is one of the parables. However, the parables are found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in those 40-plus parables, Jesus never mentions anybody by name. Here we have two individuals that are mentioned by name. However, when he, Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees, it's my belief that this is a live, true story. And that these Pharisees know this rich man. And when he introduces Lazarus, they go, Oh yeah, we remember the rich man. He died a few days ago. And we remember that Lazarus, who was laid outside of his house. This verse says, Lazarus was laid at his gate full of sores. Lazarus is the Greek form of Eleazar. In Greek, Lazarus means Eleazar. And the interpretation of Eleazar is God is the helper. And as we go through this story, we see that Lazarus is saved. God helped him into heaven. Jesus is his, his means into heaven. It's also interesting that laid, that word in Greek means balo. And it's a primary verb to throw. In various applications, more or less violence or intense. It means to arise and to cast out. And this is a perfect description of Lazarus when they said he was laid because he was a cast out from society. He was not somebody that was desirable to look at. He probably was a little smelly because he couldn't jump into a shower. And even the dogs came and licked his sores. From our point of view, this is a, a mind picture that's a little bit disgusting. And he was laid at the gate. The reason was... He couldn't work for himself. He's probably a paraplegic, maybe even a quadriplegic, because he couldn't walk. He had to be carried. He had to be laid at the gate. He's a very pitiful sight. But in God's eyes, he's not pitiful. In God's eyes, he's precious, because Jesus is the lover of his soul. And he was laid at the rich man's gate. About 10 years ago, I was on a missions trip in India. Our driver, Sujay Pillay, asked me if I wanted to go see the house, the biggest house in India, one of the biggest houses in the world, because there was a very rich man 
who owned this home? And of course I said yes. When we drove up to the house, it was literally a city block. And as we drove around it, you could see the roof line of the house. It was five, six stories high, depending on where you were driving around the city block. And on each side of the street, there was a huge gate. And there were men there. There was guards. And there was, like at a railroad track, the arm would go up and down. And you just couldn't walk into this rich man's home. And in India, they also have the caste system. So there's many, many street beggars. And there were street beggars that were begging for money outside of this rich man's house. When I read this story, that image comes vividly back to my mind. That's a picture. Jesus loves us no matter what condition we're in. Luke 16, 21, And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. This man just wanted some crumbs off the table. In the Jewish culture at this time, many times they would eat their dinner with their fingers. They didn't typically use knives and forks like we do today. And at the end of the meal, they would break some of the bread off the loaf, and they would touch their lips and clean their lips, and then they would clean their fingers with that bread. Then they would typically drop it under the table. Then, of course, the servants or the dogs would come and eat those crumbs. And this verse is saying, Lazarus desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. If you remember, there's another passage in the Bible, Matthew 15. There was a lady from Canaan. Her daughter was sick. She came to Jesus and she said, can you heal my daughter? Well, Jesus was still preaching to the Israelites. He had not turned away from them because of their rejection and had started preaching to the Gentiles. Verse 27, 26 says, But he answered and said to her, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. See, the Jews looked down upon the Gentiles and called them dogs because they were unclean. Dogs were unclean. They still are unclean. And she said, True, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then it goes on to say she worshipped him. What a wonderful answer that she answered Jesus with. That was such an awesome answer. It showed her faith. And even, yes, she was a Gentile in the Jewish eyes, not in Jesus' eyes, in the Jewish culture's eyes, a Gentile dog. And he says, she said, yet the dogs can eat of the crumbs. And Jesus healed her because she worshipped. She had faith. She believed Jesus was God because Jesus is God. Luke twelve fifteen says, and he said unto them, Take heed, and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. On Thursday night, I was doing this lesson with my two youngest boys, Josiah and Justice, and I asked them, what does it mean to covet something? What does it mean when you're covetous? And Justice answered him, he said, Dad, that means you're greedy. Isn't that a perfect definition of covetousness? Are you covetous today? Are you greedy over something other than God's word? Jesus is saying, take heed and beware of covetousness. He's saying your life doesn't consist of the abundance of the things that you have. Don't worry about having two cars and a bigger home and more jewelry and all of the things of the world. Focus on the things of God because he says your life, your life is eternal and your life comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from the things that you own or that you possess. 
Indeed, the things that you own and possess, they drag you down. They consume your time. You have to manage them and care for them. Luke 16, 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. So in the course of time, these two individuals died at the same time. Do you know there's 7 billion people in the world today? And if you do the math, if everybody lives on average 70 years, 3 score and 10 like the Bible says, that means every second, 3 people die. Every second, 3 people die. Here, 2 people died at the same time. And it says the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The angels, that means at least two angels carried his soul. His body was dead. But the angels carried his soul into Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is another name for paradise. Now also in Jesus' time, the very poor, Lazarus was very poor. What they would do is they wouldn't give, bring the city and bury them in a cemetery. They would take their bodies outside of Jerusalem, outside the city gate, and they would throw them into the dump, and they would, they would burn those bodies. And Jesus preached on this. That city dump, he called Gehenna. And Gehenna is another name for the great white throne and the lake of fire for the unbelievers. And they will spend forever eternity in the lake of fire. Now the rich man... He was buried. And what that indicates is rich men, they have very big funerals. Think about President Reagan when he died 13 years ago. The television coverage was several days long. And many people wanted to be at his funeral, even if they were political enemies, because of the media that was there. They wanted their, their turn in the spotlight. That's the way a lot of funerals are. People go sometimes to funerals to be seen. It's kind of a sad commentary, but that's the way the people are. And it says he was buried, indicating that he had get-together of many people. Perhaps those Pharisees themselves had gone to that funeral. Hebrews 1.14 says about the angels, Are they not ministering spirits, small s, spirits, sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? Shall be means that when we get to heaven and the angels are ministering to us here before we get to heaven, God has a guardian angel for the Christian. Now, the ones that are angels that have fallen, those are the demons. And they are working against God's kingdom. Proverbs fifteen twenty four says, The way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. The way of life is above that's through Jesus. Jesus is above. He's in heaven. He's seated in the heavenlies right now. And the way to heaven is through the gospel message. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is from above. It's also interesting, this verse says that hell is beneath. Luke 23, 42 and 43 says, And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The setting for Luke 23, 42, and 43 is the thief on the cross. And Jesus is about to give up the ghost. And this thief says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus looked at him, and he said, Verily I say unto thee, Today 
thou shalt be with me in paradise. So when Jesus gave up the ghost, we don't know how longer, much longer that thief lived on the cross, perhaps a few more hours because Passover was coming and they would typically break the knees so that they would suffocate. So at most it was a few hours. He was with Jesus that day in paradise. His soul. His body was wherever the Roman soldiers put it. Jesus' body was carried to the tomb, but their souls were together in paradise. Matthew 12.40 says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This verse is saying that Jesus descended into the heart of the earth when he died. Think about the earth as being a basketball. And inside that basketball is a golf ball. Now think of that golf ball as having two rooms. One side is Abraham's bosom. That side is also called paradise. And the other side, the other room, is where the flame is. It's where all the torments are. And between those two rooms, in that golf ball in the center of the earth, is a great golf fix. Ephesians 4, 8 and 9 says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, this is Jesus, when he rose from the grave on Easter Sunday morning, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. This is a picture of the conqueror. When the Roman armies would conquer a nation, they would take the captives and they would bring them into Rome. Jesus took the captives, the souls that were in paradise, the ones who had believed through faith like Abraham and Isaac and all of the great saints that are in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews, all those souls Jesus took captive up into heaven. Paradise is now empty. And it says, now that he ascended, this is Jesus, what is it but that he also descended first, where? Into the lower parts of the earth. Isaiah 5.14, therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. So Jesus now that that paradise side is empty, he expanded the burning side, the flaming side, and hell is now the entire golf ball. It says hell enlarged herself. We were going over this this morning with the boys at Sunday school, and one of the boys raised his hand and he said, does that mean hell is a woman? Because it says hell enlarged herself. And I said, no, no, that's just the way the phraseology of the Bible is. Okay, the second point we're going to look at today is the fate of the unfaithful rich man. He's unfaithful because he never believed in Jesus. He never had faith. It says, and in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. That's multiple torment. And see it, Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. This is before Jesus ascended because Jesus hasn't died yet. Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees. So paradise is still there. He lifts up his eyes, being in torments. Can you imagine his shock and his horror when he lifted his eyes in hell? This man probably had never suffered very much during his life. He's one of the richest men around. He has many servants. And he lifts his eyes, being in torments. And he must have been screaming. And he could see Father Abraham afar off. All of his senses worked. He could see Father Abraham. 
He talked to Father Abraham. He heard Father Abraham. He could feel the flame. He was thirsty. He could remember. He was all there with all of his faculties. And he calls Father Abraham. See, he was a Jew. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat 12 sons, and they all had one tribe. And this rich man was a descendant of one of those tribes. So he looked at Father Abraham and called out to him. Matthew 3, 9 says, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. See, the Jews, they believed that because Abraham was their father, they automatically had redemption and a free pass into heaven. Many years ago, I worked in Washington, D.C., and I became an acquaintance with one of the men that worked there because we worked out at the gym together. He was of the Jewish religion, so I would always try to start up conversations with him because I wanted to witness to him. And in one of the conversations, I asked him, well, how do you get to heaven? Knowing, of course, that the only way you can get there is through faith in Christ. And he said, well, I'm a Jew. I'm going to heaven. See, in his mind, he didn't have to do anything to be saved. It was through his blood, line being a Jew. And see how deficient that thought is. But many people in the world today believe that their religion is their way into heaven. But that is not the way into heaven. That's not true. That's a lie from the devil. Matthew 10.28 says, And fear not them which kill the body. Maybe some of you saw the news in the last couple of weeks. Last night there was the van in London that ran over those people. And then the three terrorists ran into the restaurant and were stabbing people. And many of the people were afraid they were hiding. And it's only natural if somebody's going to try to kill us that we would have fear. But Jesus in this verse says, Fear not them which can kill the body. But he says, But are not able to kill the soul. He says, Rather fear him, Jesus, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And the reason is, Jesus is God, we will stand before him at the judgment seat, and he will judge us according to the deeds we have done. Luke 16, 24, the rich man, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, he was crying in hell. Think about that. This story Jesus preached 2,000 years ago, this man is still in hell 2,000 years later. He's still crying in those torments. And he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. He's praying to the wrong person. Abraham can't have mercy. Only Jesus has mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, has quickened us together with Christ. And by grace, you are saved. Then he says to Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. He didn't ask for a swimming pool. He probably had one in his mansion. He didn't ask for a two-liter bottle with ice water. He didn't even ask for one little 
styrofoam cup of warm water. He wanted one drop that would fit on the tip of a finger. And just imagine Lazarus, this person who was a, literally a street person, and the dogs licked him. He wasn't saying, go wash your hand first. He just wanted one drop of water. Hebrews 10.28 says, He that despised Moses' law dies without mercy under two or three witnesses. And you see, he despised Moses' law. That's why he died, and that's why there's no more mercy. What is Moses' law? Moses' law is encapsulated in the Ten Commandments. He didn't keep the Ten Commandments. Because the first one says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And his God was money. And that's why Jesus is using this example. And in American society today, it's almost against the law to talk about the Ten Commandments in a public forum. What is so wrong with honor your parents? What is so wrong with thou shalt not kill? What is so wrong with thou shalt not commit adultery? What is so wrong with thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain? You can go through all ten of them. What is wrong with any of those verses, any of those commandments? Nothing. But Satan has blinded American society that we can't even talk about what is good for us. If we teach our children these ten commandments, when they're one and two and three and five, our society in 25 years is going to be transformed. But we can't. Luke 16.25 but Abraham said, Son, remember. Wow. This man is remembering for 2,000 years every time somebody witnessed to him. Every time somebody said, Yes, I was praying for you, Mr. Rich Man. He was remembering all of the evil things he did. All of the benefits that he had from his money. And now they don't bring him one minute of relief. Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted for 2,000 years, and you are tormented for 2,000 years. And his torments will go on forever into eternity. Job 21, 13, and 14 says, this is talking about the rich. They spend their days in wealth, and in a moment... They go down to the grave. Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. These people are wicked, desperately wicked. They say to God, Depart from us. They don't even want God in their presence. Get away from me, God. That's wickedness. And they spend their days in wealth. And look at it says, In a moment they go down to their grave. Those people that went to that concert in England a couple of weeks ago and the terrorists blew, up, blew them up with a bomb, do you think that they thought they would die at that event? No, of course not. They thought they would go back home to their homes and go to sleep at night. But in a moment, they died. It's my opinion that most of them are in hell because I would never take my kids to one of those kind of concerts. It's ungodly and it draws people that are ungodly. And in a moment, it says here, in a moment, they go down to the grave. And the grave is not only the physical grave, the grave is hell. Luke 16, 26. And beside all this, this is Abraham again talking to the rich man, between us and you is a great gulf fixed. In other words, 
You can't come to us, and we can't go to you. The Bible doesn't say what that great gulf fixed is. I think in my mind the Grand Canyon, and at the bottom of the Grand Canyon is this molten river of hot lava, and there's no way to get across without dying. <laughs> but in, in hell, they were prevented from crossing that gulf. God is a spirit. We need to worship him in spirit and in truth. The only way we can worship him is to be born again spiritually. Do you know in the spirit world there's a great gulf fixed? We can't go to heaven until we cross that gulf. And Jesus is the way to cross it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man goes unto the Father. No man goes into heaven but by me. Jesus is the straight gate. He is the entryway. And don't try to go in another way like a thief because you can't get in. John 14, 6, we just said that. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. John 14, 7 says, If you had known me, this is Jesus again speaking to the Jews that are listening to him. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. You see what Jesus is doing? He's saying he is God. He says, if you see me, you're seeing the Father. The Father and I are one. He declares that. Jesus is God. Luke 16, 27. This is the rich man again, talking to Abraham. Abraham already said, no, you can't have a drop of water. He says, I pray thee. Look at, he's using the phrase praying. I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. So now he's saying, Abraham, will you send Lazarus to my house? In other words, I want to send somebody from the dead. That in itself is evil. Because that touches on demonology and sorcery and black magic and all of those things that God hates. And he's asking for that. Do you see, spiritually, he is not discerned. He does not understand the way of life. Romans 10, 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The way we get saved is by hearing the gospel message. It's not by calling on somebody from the dead. That will not save you. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Luke 16, 28. Here's the rich man further explaining to Abraham. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So he has five brethren. The Bible doesn't say if it's his mom and dad, if it's wife, his children, his grandchildren. But there's five brethren in his house. Now let me ask you, because when I was preparing for this, many of the pastors, they say that the rich man loved his five brethren. Let me ask you, do you think that there's love in hell? Do you think that there's joy in hell? Do you think that there's peace in hell? Those are all fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. 
There was certainly no faith in hell, or they wouldn't be there in hell. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. There are no fruits of the Spirit in hell. Rather, this is my opinion, why the rich man wanted to send Lazarus, is that, think of, in your mind, visualize this picture. There's a pond of water, and you take a stone, a small stone, and you throw it toward the middle. When it hits the water, it creates a ripple effect. And the ripples take some time, but eventually they reach the shore. We're that stone. Every one of us is a stone. And when we get thrown into the pond, that's the pond of life. And every one of us affects people. And even after we pass away, when we go into eternity, what we've done here will impact people. And that's why Jesus doesn't judge us until the end of time. There are many of the old saints from many, many years ago who are still getting rewards in heaven. And also you and me, when we pass, if we raise our children right and they raise our grandchildren right, God will reward that. But on the flip side, the people that do evil here, they don't have all of their pain and suffering at hell because the great white throne has not yet happened. And this rich man knew if his five brethren also came into hell, his punishment would increase. This was totally a selfish, a selfish motivation on his part. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11a. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. All of us in this room will appear before the judgment seat. Every one of us will give an account. And God's going to judge according to the good and the evil that we have done. And this verse says, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord. This rich man in hell, he knew the terror of the Lord. But we need to preach hell, which is the terror of the Lord. His holiness and his hatred of sin is the terror of the Lord. And that's how we persuade men. That's how men are saved. That's how the gospel is shared. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say also unto them, on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God didn't make hell for human beings. He didn't make the lake of fire for human beings. Because the demons had rebelled before God created the heavens and the earth. But since man also rebelled, he already has hell in the lake of fire. So he's going to send the unbeliever, the ones who reject the free gift of salvation, into the place that was prepared for devil and his angels. And devil and the angels are much stronger than human beings. The torments for the human will be much more suffering. The final point we're going to look at today is the sufficiency of God's warnings about hell. Luke 16, 29 says, Abraham saith unto him. Here's again, Abraham talking to the rich man. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And they do have the Moses and the prophets. The Israelites, when they were growing up, they had to memorize 
the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If we were to study and memorize those five books, we would know the gospel message. They knew the gospel message. That's why Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. John 5, 39 and 40 says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. This is Jesus speaking, and it's before the New Testament is written. So he's instructing them to search the Old Testament scriptures. Search the scriptures. You have eternal life there. And then he adds, you will not come to me that you might have life. They were, were rejecting Jesus as their Savior and Redeemer. And that's why he said, you will not come to me. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. But not all of them were his sheep. Many were goats, not were all wheat. Many were tares. Luke 16.30. Here's the rich man, again talking to Abraham. He says, nay, Father Abraham. Look at he's disagreeing. He's arguing. Nay says no. He's still arguing with Abraham. He's in torments. And he just doesn't understand the true way to eternal life. He says, nay, Father Abraham, but if one of them went on from the dead, they will repent. He knows about repentance. He knows his five brethren need to repent. Repent means you turn from your sins. You can't be saved without repenting. That's part of the process of grace, for by grace are you saved through faith. You can't have faith without repentance. And the rich man knew his brother needed to repent. But he says, send one from the dead. Remember when Saul in the Old Testament, went to the witch of Endor and he called upon the dead. God got so angry, he said, tomorrow you're going to die and your son's in battle. And there actually was somebody who came back from the dead. In John chapter 11, this is the story of another Lazarus. That was the brother of Mary and Martha. He was in the tomb for four days and Martha said, he stinks. And Jesus said, come forth. 11.43, and when he had thus spoken, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus did come out of the grave. Now, did everybody that was there believe? No. Some believed. But remember when it says Jesus wept in that passage? He wasn't weeping over the Lazarus being dead. He knew he was going to bring him back to life. And in fact, in verse 16 of that same chapter, it says Lazarus is dead and I am glad for your sakes. Jesus was glad Lazarus was dead. That's why he waited four days to prove the miracle. But he wept over the souls. He, in the spirit world, he saw who was not saved. He saw who was going to hell. And he went, you're going to hell. Why don't you believe? He saw that person over there, you're going to hell. Two more people over there, you're going to hell. And he wept over their lost souls. Here in the next two verses of that story. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, he just called Lazarus from the tomb, believed on him. Many believed. But the next verse is sad. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus had done. Jesus at this point, this is right before Passion Week, he has a death sentence on him. They want to stone him. 
And those same Pharisees who didn't believe, they went to the other Pharisees and said, you know what Jesus just did? He raised Lazarus from the dead. That is wickedness. Luke 16, 31. And he said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. Lazarus rose from the dead. Were they all persuaded? No. Abraham is saying they will not be persuaded the one rose from the dead. And today, we have the gospel message of Jesus. He rose from the dead, and yet we cannot talk about this to many people. They refuse to believe. It's no different. There's nothing new under the sun. The people today are no different than they were in Jesus' time. And it's also the same way to be saved as in Jesus' time. For by grace are we saved through faith. Do you have faith today? Perhaps you're wondering, why don't people believe? It's such a simple message. Jesus loves you. You died. There's a penalty for your sin. If you don't believe, you're going to hell. He died for you. Why don't you take this free gift? It's so, such a simple message. A child can understand it. Here are a couple of reasons. Matthew eleven twenty five and 26 says, At that time, Jesus answered and said, He's praying. Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, Father, I thank thee, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from the wise and the prudent. The Father is hiding the gospel message from the people who think they're wise in the ways of the world, from the people who are prudent in the ways of the world. The entertainers, the bankers, the athletes, the rich people that don't need God in their lives. In fact, we've just learned they don't even want God. They say, get away from me, God. God says, if you have that kind of a mindset and an attitude and evil in your heart, I will hide my gospel message from you. And then he says, and has revealed his gospel message unto babes. Babes are simply children that are innocent. A babe in Christ is somebody who's newly born, born again. But children believe the gospel because they don't have sin patterns in their life that kill the seed of God, the word of God. And then Jesus finishes that prayer by saying, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight that you hide the gospel message. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, here is the reason the Father hid it. Why did he hide the gospel message? It is hid from them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. The reason God hides his gospel is because the minds of those people that are wicked are blinded by Satan, by the God of this world. They would rather choose sin in their life than a holiness of the word. And it says, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. That is the reason why God hides it. And when we think about it, isn't the gospel message beautiful, valuable, and perfect. The Bible in another verse says, don't cast your pearl before swine, lest they turn again and rend you. The pearl is the word of God. Don't throw it in front of the heathens, in front of swine, because they'll just turn around and rend you. They're going to try to rip you apart. Save the word for people that are hungry for it. The ones that want to be fed with the word of life. And God will bring those people into our lives. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this 
beautiful passage. It's a very heavy passage. It's dealing with perhaps the heaviest topic in the Bible, which is hell. Hell is real. The people in the world, they don't have to do anything to go to hell. They just need to keep on doing what they're doing. However, Lord, we ask that you would bring people into our lives that want to hear the word, that have a desire to learn about eternal life. And Father, I ask that you'd bless all of the people here at Bentley Commons, the residents, that you'd give them a good week coming up, that they would be strong, that you would take away the aches and the pains, and Lord, that they would be a blessing to their fellow residents, and also, Lord, that you would bring people across our path who need the gospel message, that we would be ministers to them in the spirit world as the angels are ministers to us, heirs of salvation. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Bless us as we go out this week. Thank you, Father. Amen.